0: Welcome to the midside, where we don't always skip sleep, but when we do, we only sleep for a couple hours. I'm your host, Justin Ulasensky, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. If you can't hear it in my voice right now, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted because of wrestling, which which I'll get into in a second. I'll explain that a little bit more. But I just want to say right off the bat that that is why I am recording this episode on my own. This is a solo episode. William will not be with me. And just because scheduling-wise, I couldn't get it to work out where I'd be able to record with him. Hell, I didn't know if I was actually going to even be able to record at all. I didn't know if I was going to be able to record at all. This weekend... There was boys districts, girls regionals, and then Saturday I had to go do weigh-ins for four hours in the afternoon for the IOM Florida AAU Youth State Championship on Sunday, today the day I'm recording this. So needless to say, although I've already said it, I am exhausted. I am exhausted because it's like, get up, go to wrestling, come home, barely sleep, get up, go to wrestling. Uh, I'm not saying I hate it or anything. I actually enjoy it very much. It's just it's taking up a a lot of my time. Uh, It's also taking up a lot of uh, my body. And specifically, the other reason I couldn't record this episode, say, on Saturday morning is uh, I have five girls on my team, five girls on my team. Three of them made states. And what the boys typically do on many teams is in the postseason, called the state series, You districts, if you make the top four in districts, you go on to regionals. If you make the top four in regionals, you go on to states. And then the top six to eight place at states. It's very unclear on what's going on, especially because the brackets came out and the brackets only seem to indicate right now that only the top four are going to place for girls, which doesn't seem to be fair if they're placing the top eight for guys so we'll say four to eight place we'll we'll see what they do with that but anyway for this what they call the state series the postseason the playoffs basically a three tournament playoff boys typically dye their hair right or bleach it so all the boys bleach their hair and in the school i I coach at their colors are gold and blue so the girls want to dye their hair blue Uh, So my hair right now in the process of getting to that blue is bleached, bleached blonde. And now everyone calls me Slim Shady, calls me Eminem. I'll throw a picture in there in the Discord at some point uh, so you can see what I'm talking about. But yeah, it's been it's been great. It's been very rewarding Uh, just to see the immediate effects of your work. I think with a lot of jobs, and I think with teaching in particular, you don't always see the immediate effects of your work. It can be something where you have to say, you know, this will pay off for them in the future. But with sports, and especially with wrestling, when you're out there every weekend in their wrestling tournaments where they can have, you know, four or five matches, you see the improvement immediately, and you see the effects of what you're teaching them and how you're training them immediately. And it's been very rewarding. I mean... To have only five girls on the team, which at that that is a disappointment, but to have three of them place in states, not place in states, make it to states, oh, getting ahead of myself, that's how tired I am, to, to make it to states, I hope they can all place at states. We'll, we'll see what happens. But to have three of them make it, I, that was very, very rewarding for me. But, you know, districts was very rewarding. We had four of the girls win district championships and the third, or the third, the third, the fifth gets second, right? And then in regions, the one who got second got third in regions and two other girls got second in regions. So all of them are going to states because they're in the top four. So that will be taking up a lot of my life over the next two weeks, training, practicing. And then, of course, boys regionals is next weekend. And I have to help run that tournament. You know, the, my, my team has to help run that tournament. So we'll see how that goes. But it makes it difficult. It makes it difficult to Find things outside of wrestling to talk about. And it makes it important to find things outside of wrestling to talk about. And I did I did drop a couple things in Discord. And as always, if you want to join the Discord channel, you can do so by going to themidside.com slash podcast or themidside.com. Click on any episode link and in there is a link to join the Discord. I dropped a couple links in there of things that just sort of came across my... can't really say desk anymore, right? We can say screen. They came across my smartphone screen. And they were. They, I just found them interesting. I found them interesting. So the first thing that I found really interesting that I dropped in is a, an email I got from Disney. So because I live down the world from Disney World, I live down the world, live down the street from Disney World, because I'm an annual pass holder, I get all sorts of marketing emails from Disney. Now I live in a. Uh, developed community. I don't even know how to describe it. It's it's like a developed curated community. There are some houses here. There's a bunch of condos. And you know, I live in a condo And the backyard is a man made pond, they call it, although it's sort of bigger than what you would think of with a pond. And of course, you don't want to swim in it because it's Florida. And there's probably an alligator in there of some sort of size. But you know, this is one of those communities where it has an HOA, a lot of communities have that in Florida. And there's a you know a rec center with a pool and a uh, fitness center. And then, of course, across the street as part of the community is a, a, a club. It's $100 a month and you can eat there. And there's a bigger pool and a lazy river. And this is the kind of place that, you know, it's month by month if you want. And it can add to your enjoyment. And I point this out because... I dropped this email I got from Disney. It's Story Liz Liz blah, 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 Story Living by Disney. And it's introducing vibrant new home communities designed for you. And the email says neighborhoods, including one specifically for adults fifty-five plus, are nestled amidst a spectacular creative oasis. Walt Disney himself enjoyed the area as a rejuvenating retreat, and now we invite you to do the same. And of course the first one they're talking about here and they're talking about the area is Coachella Valley. Now Basically what this is, is a community that's completely planned by Disney. So they provide the entertainment, they provide the aesthetic, uh, they don't build it, right? They hire a third party to build it, just like I, I don't believe Disney has a lot of internal construction crews for their theme parks. They don't build it, but they imagine it, shall we say. They didn't use that word in any of the marketing, but that's essentially what they're doing. They're providing that. Now, people know I'm a big Disney fan. People know that I love the town of Celebration, which was basically Disney's first foray into this. They don't own it anymore, but this was their first foray into developing a town and everything. I love the aesthetic. I love how it all comes together and has that feel to it. Very uh, traditional Americana feel, as you will. Feels safe. It feels cleanly. It feels integrated. And I love it because of that. I love going there. I would like to live there one day, but unfortunately it can tend to be more expensive with HOA fees. I mean, we looked at one when we were looking for a place to live in and the HOA fees were like a thousand a month or something. Or even, it was even more exorbitant than that. It was insane basically. It was cost prohibitive to anyone to live there. So of course that unit's just going to sit there forever, right? Because unless you're super rich, you're not going to pay that. Now I don't think these properties that Disney is doing are going to be that cost prohibitive. I'm also not sharing this and I don't find this interesting because it is Disney. I find this interesting because I think Disney is ahead of the curve here. And what I mean by that is when I was living in California, especially Southern California, what I'm about to say, especially applies to Southern California. I noticed that they were the developers were moving towards a new model of Homes. And that model is everything together. And what I mean by that is shopping, living, entertainment, all in the same place. Because in Southern California, and Daniel will often talk about this if you know him at all, and I'm sure he said on the show at some point. In Southern California, you don't want to go outside your five mile radius because you go outside of that, it's so cumbersome to go anywhere. I mean, when I lived in Anaheim, I was literally three miles from Disneyland, right? And it was cumbersome to go anywhere outside of that, you know, go North up to LA, go South down to Irvine. I didn't want to go anywhere. And that required them, them being developers, them being city planners to come up with a new style of living. And that is, even though the area is urban sprawl, creating an environment which discourages people to from traveling because you want to get rid of that traffic and encourages them to spend their money all in the same place they were building up in in the uh, I believe it was the Santa Ana Mall was going to do this I know that the Angel Stadium owner wanted to do this perhaps that's where Disney got the idea right because Angel Stadium is down the street from. Disney and, you know, Disney used to own Angel Stadium, I believe. Uh, But there actually is, there are apartment buildings around Angel Stadium, even one that looks like called the George in the, in the parking lot. So I think this is, I think this is where housing is going to be going. I'm not sure it's a good thing. I'm not sure it's a bad thing, but it's an interesting thing to reflect on because something I always talk about is think locally. Because everyone's so worried about nationally, globally, and I say the only way to fix problems is to think locally. So I, the good side of it is I like that. I like this idea of like, let's create a beautiful place to live that we don't really want to leave. But at the same time, I have two issues. One, there's something to be said to don't turn your blinders off to the rest of the world. Sure, maybe you live in a beautiful community and everything you need is right there, but... How do you grow as a person if you never travel beyond where you are? And now I don't—I don't mean to fetishize travel, right? In the way that you know everyone in LA like will put on their Instagrams and their dating profiles. Oh, I travel all the time, right? I have wanderlust. Like, must love to travel to be with me, right? I'm not talking about that. It's not—it's not a social status thing, right? You know, oh, I have enough money that I can travel, right? That's a very L.A. thing. I'm not talking about that. I even mean just looking beyond your basic essentials and basic needs. I mean, driving across the state, driving across state lines, maybe because I grew up in New England, that was something that was more common for me, but driving to Rhode Island, driving to New Hampshire, driving to New York, drive into Connecticut, Right, see what's going on in all of these different cities. Go from Worcester to Boston. Go from Worcester to New York City. Go from Worcester to Long Island. Right, Worcester to Albany. Right, drive that. You know, I was living in South Carolina. Go from Clemson to DC. Go from Clemson to Atlanta. Go from Clemson to Charlotte. There's other things, there's other people available in other areas. No no lifestyle is gonna be the same anywhere. Now, does that mean you have to travel internationally and so forth? So I'm not saying you need to do all this to be a good person, but that's the thing that concerns me about having a community like this. I get the reasoning for it. Like I said, I get the positives of it. It's curated. Everything you ha- you need is right there, and it's by people who are world-class when you're talking about Disney. But discouraging people from going anywhere? And then there's the negative side of, yeah. A planned community can be a good thing. It makes sense, right? You would think just like speciously, it makes sense that someone's planning a community and it all fits together. and It's integrated. That's amazing. That's beautiful. That's a good design concept. But we do have to look at who is doing it, right? Who do we want in charge? Is it good to go from government doing it to a giant corporation doing it? And I'm not saying either is necessarily evil. Although, People make a case for both, right? And I perhaps lean more towards the government is necessarily evil platform. But the idea of just having so much power and control in one group, even if it is a private enterprise, is a bit concerning for me. It's a bit worrisome for me that these people would have that much control over our lives. And again, they're trying to keep us in this one place, right? So what are they going to do to keep us in this one place? Especially if we see more corporatism going forward, right? So if you really want to get cynical about it, you really want to get cynical about it. Imagine this is a a stage in Facebook's metaverse. And we know how Facebook and social media companies are in bed with the government. So imagine the way you can be controlled digitally by Facebook or Twitter or any of the social media platforms that being manifested physically. Can you not leave your house? Is this how they enforce lockdowns? Is this how they make sure lockdowns happen? I mean, when I look at this, isn't Disney just a step ahead of Amazon? Isn't Disney just a step ahead of Facebook? Doesn't Google have supposedly an aesthetically amazing campus? Why wouldn't they want to provide such a service to other people? I mean, Amazon already does. You can have them deliver into your house, into your garage. Your garage, not your house. Your garage, I mean, your garage is part of your house, but I meant specifically the garage. So who says Amazon wouldn't want to do that with owning the house overall or building the house overall? Oh, you can do everything through us. You know, Amazon, you can buy those buttons, right? You can buy a button that says, oh, I'm out of Tide. Send me more Tide. What if they had the entire house set up that way? What if they had the entire house set up that way? Would we want to have one company, one group have that much control? I don't know. It's concerning to me. It's concerning to me. Then again, another story I saw this week is another example of this sort of concern. Belgium apparently approved a four-day work week and a right to disconnect. So I I have two major concerns about this. One, it's a slippery slope argument, right? Why four days? Why four days? Why not three days? And then when it's three days, why not two days? When it's one day. What do we do then? Maybe a half day? I don't know. This to me is, is the, the idea that I always talk about. It's the, the Marxist labor theory of value that the value you create is based on the amount of labor you put in, which, of course, we then have to measure in time. Right. The amount of work you do should be based upon the task you need to complete. Take wrestling, for example. Right. Imagine they said, as a wrestling coach, you have a four-day week. So you're telling me, including matches and including practice, I can only have four days. Okay, well then, one of those days is matches, right? A tournament. The day before, I can't go hard and practice because you don't want to burn the the wrestlers out for the, the day of the tournament, depending on the level of competition in the tournament. And... That leaves two days to actually improve the wrestlers, whereas now there is no work week for wrestling. Last Sunday, we started practice at 8 a.m., and then the kids club came in, and we worked with the kids club. So we worked for four hours on Sunday morning. Nobody else worked for those four hours, I don't think, if they did, kudos to them. But I, I think that made a major difference for my team, for my girls. I really think that made a major difference. Imagine taking that away. Imagine taking that away. It's just, just I, I don't like this idea that people don't want to work, so we measure their, their labor value by time, and we tell them they can do more of what they want with their time. Well, what do you want to do if you don't want to work? And I don't mean that in the, I'm going to slave away from the man for a paycheck. Like, yeah, I get paid for wrestling, but I'm not doing it because... I get paid I'm doing it because I enjoy it and it is work it is work I am building a team I am building a program I am building specifically these young women I'm helping them become better people so that is definitely work now of course the argument in response to me is always going to be well that's only what is required we're going to make it so you're only required to work four days you can do more than that if you want But legally, an employer can only require you to work four days. So there's going to be a couple things with that. I would think that, first of all, that's going to create a new sort of approach to hiring people, where you hire people on four-day rotations. So it's like you work Monday through Friday, or Monday through Thursday. You work Tuesday through Friday. right? You work Wednesday through Saturday. And so on and so forth. I mean, you can figure out the, the sliding scale there. Um, and also, this is the growing power of government, right? Like, why does government have to mandate this? Why does government have to mandate this? If you want this, why can't you just negotiate that with your employer? And that's my problem with the second thing, too. They're talking about how in COVID we learned we have to have the, the dis- to disconnect. We have a right to disconnect. Why is that a right government needs to assert, If we're talking about natural rights and rights, you know, anything that you can do naturally is what you are free to do, right? You have a right to do, of course, as long as it doesn't involve harming other people. Why is the right to disconnect something government needs to create or announce? I mean, perhaps you could argue it needs to be protected, but I don't understand the need to announce it. Right. Isn't that a contract between you and your boss? The right to disconnect. If your boss is is not letting you disconnect and keeps blowing you up, wouldn't that be something you want to look at? I mean, we would consider that a toxic relationship if you were dating romantically and someone kept blowing you up and wouldn't leave you alone. Why do we not consider that way for employment? I mean, it seems to me a lot of, and I've you know I've said this before, and I always say this, the issues are the lack of self esteem. Why is government standing in for the self esteem of the Belgian people here? Right, a right to disconnect. Why can't you tell your boss that yourself? Why can't you negotiate that in an interview? Why do you need government to mandate it? What is the argument I mean the other argument has to be that people are so mean and malicious that or needy that they don't give their employees a right to disconnect? Although also, isn't this I mean, now that I think of this, doesn't a four day work week impl- uh, imply the right to disconnect? Is it really a four day work week if you take your work home for the other three days? I, I don't know. This is, it just seems to be so many people just want to get out of work because they don't enjoy work. Because they don't enjoy work because they're not doing anything they actually like and enjoy because ultimately they don't like themselves enough to know what they like and enjoy and to believe they can do things they like and enjoy. Of course, that actually folds into the the final story I wanted to talk about. I I dropped it again in the Discord. Snackmaker's hostess, Snackmaker hostess unveils caffeinated donuts as market for caffeine spiked food heats up. So I wouldn't say 10 years ago, but no, let me think of the year. Yeah, it's about 10 years ago. It's about a decade ago. I basically swore off caffeine. And I want to say basically because there's this caffeine in chocolate and every once in a while I'll have a caffeinated soda. But I really do not consume caffeine. I don't consume caffeine. And I never considered it part of straight edge. It was just, I I honestly, I used to like drink a soda in the morning. And whenever I did, it would, you know, give me problems with, gas, to get really personal, but also worse than that, it would give me headaches. I would constantly have headaches, and I know other people who drink coffee every day have this problem. And it, honestly, it's an addiction. It literally is an addictive substance that they even describe it in this article, this Yahoo News article that they're reposting from the Washington Post. That's interesting to me nowadays, how sites just to get your click creates deals with other people publishers in order to get their content on their platform. It's very interesting. But anyway, they say that in here. They call it a stimulant. They call it a stimulant. Let me see if I can find it real quick if I scroll down here. All this BS about cops and... Yeah, I can't find it off the top of my head here, so I'm not going to keep having this dead air here talking about it. But the basic concept is here that they're adding caffeine to donuts and Twinkies and things like that. And They're making flavors such as chocolate mocha and caramel macchiato to get in on the market, essentially, where... Let's see what it says here. Caffeine consumption has increased in recent decades. and Consumers are getting it from sources outside standbys, such as coffee, tea, and soda. Hostess is following other food companies looking to tap into the growing market by adding the stimulant to their foods and drinks. This is, they're of course, talking about energy drinks, right? And they talk about that in the... Uh, in the... Um, in the article here, researchers in 2014 determined that 85% of people in the United States consumed at least one caffeinated beverage a day, most typically coffee, tea, or soda. Despite popping up on the market and making news, energy drinks such as Red Bull, Monster, and 5-Hour Energy made up a sliver of the market at the time. Right, of course, they make up a larger market now, right? And again, I was ahead of the curve here, right? I mean, 85% of people, I in 2014, I was not in that 85% of people. I was prior to that. Right, but I'm not anymore. Right. And I think I had a Mountain Dew a couple weeks ago because, again, I was so exhausted. I was like, I'll have a Mountain Dew. But when I had it, that caffeine hit me hard. It hit me hard because it is a substance. It's a foreign substance. And what happens is you get used to it. And that's what the addictive cycle is here. The addictive cycle of I need something to stimulate me. But now it's not stimulating me anymore. It just becomes a natural part of what my body needs. And that's what people don't realize, right? They use something that's a stimulant and they say, oh, that was really good. I'm going to keep using it. But it's the law of diminishing returns. The more your body gets used to it, it becomes a normal part of what your body processes. The less stimulation you're going to receive from it and the more it's going to hurt you when you stop consuming it. I mean, it's the same thing with sugar and I'm not going to lie, that's, That's the major thing I'm addicted to. And that becomes the question. Where is the line here with drugs? Where is the line here with substances? Right. I mean, it's clear to me as a straight edge person, alcohol, you know, what are typically called the hard drugs, marijuana, all of these things are things I do not believe you should consume. I believe they harm, they harm you. You develop a dependency, uh, I am rapidly even more so believing caffeine is here. But what about sugar? Where is the line of moderation? And, you know, Daniel and Shirley William would talk about drinking moderately, right? And there is a case here. I don't think there's a case for alcohol. There's more of a case for caffeine. But where is the line? And I certainly can say that we've stepped over the line as a culture in America when we're this dependent on it. Right? Think about the amount of money wasted on Starbucks products every day. You want to talk about success financially, economically, as a culture. We have so much money we can throw it away on Starbucks. And now we've created a dependency here? If I'm going to have problems with the what I call accepted alcoholism, I have to call out this. What is this, caffeineism? I don't know. I, I mean, I think we're addicted here. When Hostess needs to put caffeine in there or when Hostess puts caffeine in there to have a, a market, to have a market, because or they think there's a market, so they want to tap into that market. They put caffeine in their products. I mean, my final sort of thought that has to deal with all of this is, if we do legalize marijuana, and again, your body, your choice, so legalize it and let people do what they want, how many companies will start selling marijuana or I can't remember. I was going to say HGH, but I don't mean that. Whatever the acronym is, or the the letters, THC, sorry, THC, that's it. That's why I thought HGH, because of the H there. Start selling your TNT. How much are we going to have TNT-infused products, right? All these products. And I thought TNT like the channel, but it's actually funny because you think of gunpowder in the... Products. So maybe I should have said like TBS infused, right? TBS infused products. But again, this goes back to how is this any different from going back to what I was saying about the first story about the story living from Disney? Isn't that a Disney infused product? So now we're going to start talking about physical dependency and psychological dependency and addiction. It's fascinating. And I don't have the answers to these questions. I just, I have questions which leads to more questions and they're they're interesting to me, right? And I hopefully other people will find these things interesting. I mean, hopefully you're still listening to this episode. I kind of can't believe I'm still recording it, but hey, whatever. All right, one final thing I want to talk about before I sign off here, get some sleep, right? I actually need to pack my workout bag for tomorrow and maybe hang some clothes or I think I'm going to put that off to tomorrow. I don't know. Uh, I might have a snack. I don't know. Final thing I want to talk about is a movie review because I know you guys all like to hear what I have to say about movies. Like to hear my analysis. So I saw Uncharted starring Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. I saw it because I, as you saw, as you've listened to the show, you know that I hugged the trailer. Thought the trailer looked good. I mean, it's Mark Wahlberg looked pretty funny, and you know Tom Holland. I'm not gonna, you know pigeonhole him as spider-man or dislike him completely just because of his involvement in marvel he you know he's a good actor although in a few of the scenes especially with all the parkour his character does you see the spider-man influences on the movie so the movie is based on the video game uncharted tom holland plays nathan drake he is searching for a lost treasure of magellan and magellan's like 18 crewmen and Mark Wahlberg's character, Sully, yeah, the most Boston name ever, right? Which makes me think of Sully's brand, which I bought t-shirts from, uh, is helping him. There's a whole undercurrent about his Nathan Drake, you know Tom Holland's brother, who's a long lost, and that pays off with the setup for a sequel. But basically this whole movie is is like a cross between Indiana Jones and the Fast and the Furious, but I, I mean that without the cars. Where it's all about like you have to learn how to trust people. And so on and so forth. And what matters to you more. Because they're trying to find this treasure worth 5 billion dollars. And it it involves a lot of people double crossing each other. And switching sides. And you know we're building a team together here. And how do you build a team. And the most disappointing part about the movie is. The point is revealed in the ending. Which is basically the real treasure is the friends we made along the way and I I guess this is a spoiler what I'm about to say is the end of the whole entire movie is basically Mark Wahlberg's character's heart grew three sizes and he chooses Tom Holland's character over the the money over the the prize they kind of get around that in a in a cheat in a way but that's the whole point of the movie is the real friends or the real treasure is the friends we made along the way, right? It's so cliche in that way. Is it entertaining? Yeah. If you like Mark Wahlberg and Tom Holland,er you're gonna enjoy it. Yeah. But it's nothing amazing. It's a it's it's a bro rating. I got to give it a bro, just a middle of the road bro. And I was severely disappointed until I saw the closing credits and I saw who wrote it. Who I saw who wrote it, Rafe Judkins. This is something I've never talked about on the show before, but Rafe is the guy who's currently adapting for Amazon, the time, the wheel of time series, uh, which, you know, we talked about the, the trailer trailer takedown. I was also similarly unimpressed by that. He, um, he wrote for agents of shield. And of course he was on survivor Guatemala, but my interaction, my knowledge of Rafe actually goes beyond that. So, as you know, I've until recently, especially because I've cut off social media in the last couple of months, been very involved online and I I was very involved in the survivor fan community for a long time. I mean, when I first moved to Southern California, I would go and meet survivors, right? Because I knew where the fans were hanging out and they knew where the survivors were hanging. So I would go and meet out and, and hang out with the people I liked. And Because of that, I would often post on a a message board, which was ironically called Survivor Sucks. And Rafe recruited me for an online Survivor game, which he then was going to write the story of. And he wrote about half of it. He wrote about half of it, but then he disappeared. But he ran the entire game. And he specifically recruited me because even back then, right before he was on Survivor Guatemala, my views were different from most people in the community discussing that show, and it's always been that way online, right? I've gotten myself into a lot of trouble in a lot of communities when I say that I got banned from a lot of communities. I mean, I can't still, I still can't post in the Funko Pop subreddit because of it. But, um, yeah, he recruited me, and, you know, he's the game master, so I would talk to him a lot, and I would talk to him a lot when he was recruiting me and when the game was over, right? Talk to him about his... He would tell me all about his application, how he was selling himself to Survivor. I didn't think he would actually get on, but then he got on. You know, he's he was from Utah, I believe he grew up Mormon, but he was gay and he was into comedy, although he wasn't funny at all on the show. And he went to Brown. So he had a really marketable persona to sell to them. But the but the key thing here is I tell you all of this, not to like tell you a random factoid, but there's always a background story to these movies you're watching. And to be fair to Rafe, I do believe the movie was heavily edited, right? You can tell the studio cut a lot of this out, right? It was very, you know, bare bones, as they say. It's sort of like what they tried to do to Batman versus Superman for the theatrical edition, right? You can tell the studio streamlined it, right? especially because, I mean, if you know the joke in the trailer about Mark Wahlberg's mustache where, you know, Tom Holland asks him, what, the, what is it? And he goes, you know, it's facial hair. You'll hit puberty one day, too. Uh, that wasn't even in the movie at all. So you can definitely tell the studio it. So I want to be fair to, to Rafe about that. I don't think any of that's his fault. But my point is, look at the point of the movie, right? The point of the movie is, you know, they name check Indiana Jones. They name check Jack Sparrow. I was waiting for that the whole movie, especially when Magellan ships become involved. And this should have been like a... Epic, like archaeology movie in the in the style of Indiana Jones, or a, a heist movie in the the style of Pirates and Fast and the Furious. But in the end, the point wasn't any of that. Like I said, it was the real treasures—the friends you made around the way, along the way—and that's because. Think about it. Who is the perfect person to write a movie about trust and? You know, how do you know to trust someone and everyone trying to get one over on another person and ultimately making a friendship along the way? Isn't it a guy who got third on a season of Survivor because he decided to. Oh, it wasn't even third. It was second, wasn't it? Let me let me Google this. I believe he got second. No, he got third. He got third. He yeah, he did the uh, the old step down thing, Right. Let me look at it here. Do, 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 do. Yeah, he did the whole step down thing, right? Where he, yeah, he told somebody to vote for him, and then that person went to the finale and got all the votes, so on and so forth. Let me see where it is. Do, 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 here it is. Yeah, I mean, the way they edited the show was um, the woman who went on to win chose to vote him out, but there was a whole thing that he wanted her to vote him out and everything because he ended up valuing friendship more than in the, the prize in the show. And then the whole movie has that in it. My, so my point being, there's always a backstory to these these movies. And when things are underdeveloped or they're not as good as they can be, it's it's largely because the writers, the creators, the creatives, whatever you want to say, whatever term you want to use, they they haven't separated themselves enough from their art. And I know that may be funny to hear from someone who considers himself an objectivist or objective-ish, right? It's your own life. Live it for yourself, right? You have to—you are your own main audience. But what I mean by that is you have to take the work of art as, as its own thing and— Think about what makes the art good on its own rather than focus on or I don't even think think it's something that people are necessarily aware of. I would actually love to to ask Rafe about this and ask him how aware he is of how well this parallels his journey on Survivor. Was that intentional? There has to be some intentional inspiration from his experience on the show. But There's no way, I don't know, I'd be interested, I don't want to say there's no way, I'd I'd just be interested to know how intentional the inspiration was, especially on the ending and everything, and on the theme, because the the ending really drives home the theme, which is what made the movie sort of disappointing to me. Besides the editing, which I said, you know, that's the studio, I'm sure of it, but beyond that, just the ending and and what the overall theme was. So, there's a little perspective You first of all, you don't always know who people know. You don't always know who you know that's gonna become famous or become influential or become known or notable, especially in this internet age, right? I mean, talk about Rafe, but then you know, I was hanging out with Zuby, talking to him one day, right? And that's happened with other people too. So you just you just never know. And well, who am I? Like I'm just some dude talking into a mic on a podcast, right? And in a closet. Talking in the mic on the podcast, not in the closet in the way that sounded, but that's the joke I make every week. And, you know, maybe some of you thought the podcast would blow up. Looks like it never will. I still enjoy it because you just do the things you love. So ultimately, hats off to Rafe for writing a major budget movie. I mean, the dude got to write a major budget movie starring Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. That's awesome. The thing started off in Boston. I don't know if that was his decision or Mark Wahlberg's decision. But hey, in a way, that dude's living the dream, right? He was on Survivor. He wrote that movie. Maybe it's not as good as I would like to think I could have done it and would have done it. But hey, he did it, and it's there. And I don't know the context to everything that happened. So hey, good on him. We got some perspective on it. Glad I saw it. Glad it exists. Not going to dissuade you from seeing it, but I'm also not going to say, hey run out there and see it. I think there's a lot of good stuff coming out this year that we will have a great chance to talk about on this show. I want to thank you as always for listening. I just gave you that little spiel about why you make me feel less crazy, although I still kind of am crazy. If you want to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. Any and all support is Appreciated, including affirmations. That's the Midside.com slash podcast or the Midside.com slash Patreon or the Midside.com slash locals. I'm really losing steam here. I'm really losing steam. Uh, tell a friend. Yeah, that's it. I'm done. I'm checking out. I'm about to crash here. This concludes your journey into the Midside. I'm Justin M. reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce.